Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You Big Book Study. Today is Sunday, June 16th, 2019. My name is Melanie C., a recovered compulsive overeater in Wilsonville, Oregon. The share ID numbers for Friday, June 14th, 2019 are the following. The 7 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study share ID number is 13036-3036. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study, the share ID number is 13038-13038. This morning, A Vision for You presents Half Measures Availed Us Nothing. Here's some phenomenal news for all of us. We are promised the great fortune to live free from the disease of compulsive overeating. Every single one of us. I like to add to this that it isn't for those that were born with a silver spoon in their mouths, nor those that won any sort of lottery, the cutest, the oldest, the purest, or those living on the wrong side of the tracks. It's for all of us. You do this, you do this, you do this, everyone, and the promise comes true. How is a 60, always a $64 million question. The big book mentions over again that putting our entire life and effort into the program of recovery is what it will take if we are to reclaim our life. Half-hearted, partial effort will not fit the bill. Experience sadly shows this. We read that so many want to recover, but they have one foot still in yesterday or the what-ifs and the if-onlys continue to occupy their mind, among other things. Willingness to go to any length for recovery carefully and completely, pressing in, inch by inch by inch, we are on our way. The topic of today's Sunday special edition, Half Measures Availed Us Nothing, is very important. What a timely topic. The big book does not dance around this idea. We are told that it avails us nothing. One of my favorite pages in the big book On page 13 and 14, let me read that to you real quick here. Belief in the power of God plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things were the essential requirements. Simple, but not easy. A price had to be paid. It meant destruction of self-centeredness. I must turn all things to the... I must turn in all things to the Father of light who presides over us all. We are not to fool ourselves about this, people. When we are all in, the dividends pay off so handsomely. It is bankable cash, the first of which is being restored to our true selves. Sanity returns. This is hallelujah worthy, folks. Well, this morning, we are favored with a fellow Visions member that will take this topic and share with us what it looks like from all angles. By the time the Q&A has ended, an understanding will be more clear. Our guest speaker today comes from New York. Leslie Am is a very loyal member of OA and knows a thing or two about working a thorough program. You may recognize Leslie always also as a very passionate member of a vision for your big book study offering offering her service on so many levels many days of the week so if you will with no further ado please help me welcome leslie m to the line this morning good morning leslie good morning melanie thank you i just have to start off by thanking you so much for all the service that you do and all the areas that you are every day of the week so thank you for that Um, I am Leslie M. I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Long Island, New York. 
and I'm very nervous about this. Uh, I've never done a special edition before, um, and um, but I know that uh, God will give me the words that I need to say, um, and hopefully I will give someone out there hope this morning. Uh, so I'm just going to start with a set-aside prayer. <clears throat> Dear God, please set aside everything I think I know about myself, my disease, the 12 steps, other people, my fears, and you, dear God, that I may have an open mind and a new experience of all these things. Please let me see the truth. Amen. And, and just, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start at the beginning, um, but I just want to tell everyone that I am 68 years old, and um, I have been in OA 29 years this year. Um, and today I am enjoying 15 months of uh, contented uh, abstinence, um, neutrality around the food, and what I like to call an empty brain. Um, and I will, you know, explain that as I go along. Um, so anyway, I was born in, in 1951. Um, I was one of seven children. Uh, there are six girls and one boy in my, in my family. Uh, my father was an alcoholic. My mother was a compulsive overeater. And in my family, the basic tenet was, <clears throat> excuse me, if you didn't get noticed, you didn't get hit. So, you know, that was pretty much my goal, was to stay as invisible as possible, not get noticed, and not get punished. Um, you know, and um, during childhood, I was very active. So um, uh, I, I have to believe, because I have the twofold illness, that I've always had the twofold illness. Um, but uh, running around and trying to stay out of the house didn't, you know, have caused me to have a weight problem during childhood. Um, also, along with that, I don't have a lot of memory of um, of my childhood, um, and and a lot of that because there was so much uh, uh, judgment, criticism, punishment, um, uh, you know, and and. Um, you know, if, I guess if my memory ever, you know, if it's returned to me, it is. Um, I've been on the path for a while, so, um, you know, I can accept whatever, whatever I, I remember. Um, but um, I may have, it's, I, I just noted that I may have been eating at this time just to check out. You know, fantasy was a big thing for me. I always, um, I did a lot of, uh, as a child and young adult and teenager, did a lot of reading because that was an escape for me. Um, so I'm sure that the food was also an escape for me. Recently, I found out that my mother being the compulsive overeater, um, my sis one of my sisters said to me, oh, yeah, you know, mommy used to always eat this kind of special kind of cake. And she said, oh, I hated that cake. I don't know whoever would have eaten pieces of that. And I said, oh, I love that cake. You know, so I knew who was eating those pieces of cake during that time because, you know, um, I, I would still love that cake, not that I have it, but so anyway, I, I you know, I, um, I, I remember one of my biggest memories when I was 18 was that I decided not to have children. And uh, uh, I decided that because I thought that I would, I, I pretty much knew that I would do to them what had been done to me. And, um, you know, I knew that I did, even at that point that I didn't want to live that way. Um, but I really didn't feel like there was a whole lot of choice either. Um, so I just said, okay, well, that's, that's you know, pretty much how, how this is going to go. Um, 
you know, in, in 1973, uh, uh, actually, um, I was diagnosed with an ovarian cyst um, that had weighed 75 pounds. So basically, um, I had looked pregnant for about the last prior three years. Um, you know, it was removed. It wasn't cancer. It was, you know, that was not a problem at the time. Um, but it had given me a very distorted body image, a very uh, not really being aware of what I look like, not wanting to look at myself, you know, was part of it. And so, and I carry that through um, my whole life um, because, uh, you know, the reality the reality of life was just, it always seemed just too harsh for me. And, um, you know, and with that added into it, looking like that, um, I, you know, I didn't know what to do. After the surgery, I had to, you know, ask people, like, what size might I be, you know, because it was such a drastic change. Um, uh, in the following year, I also married an alcoholic um, because that was what was familiar to me. I knew that. You know, I was, I was actually, I, I had gone, going back just a little, I'd gone away to college after high school and I ended up flunking out after about a year and a half. And part of that for me was that I was so uncomfortable to be out of the only environment that I had ever known. And that was this dysfunctional, this dysfunctional family. Um, and so, you know, marrying an alcoholic was, was exactly, um, you know, where I needed to be. As far as my uh, my weight at, uh, during this, this was in my 20s. Um, you know, I was I was at a fairly uh, uh, well for me at that point. I was really at a very low weight because I I'd had the 75 pound cyst removed from me. So I you know it was my perspective was very skewed, very skewed. Uh, the marriage didn't last long. Uh, we were married for five years. Um, it, uh, you know it was. I, I, you know, I certainly participated in the, uh, in the insanity and the dysfunction of the marriage. And uh, I, um, yeah, you know, there was, I had a part in it and uh, it it didn't, it didn't end well. It didn't start well and it didn't end well. So it was, um, uh, you know, uh, this period of my life, I was um, in and out of other relationships and um, uh, the food at this point, really, I, I did more anorexic behaviors than I did compulsive overeating. Um, when something big would happen, I would always say, oh, I just won't eat. You know, anything to be in control of the food, anything to, um, you know, um, be able to say, yeah, you know, I don't have to touch that right now. Um, that, was, that was how things happened. Um, you know, but, you know, and the one thing, it, you know, that came out of my childhood was there was some part of me that had always known that my father was sick. You know, I didn't know, you know, I knew he, was an, he drank too much, but I had always known that piece of it. And, um, and so in 1988, I ended up um, getting into Al-Anon, Al-Anon Adult Children Group. And, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't involved with an alcoholic at the time, but Several of my other relationships along the way had been with alcoholics, and um, you know this that seemed you know at the time that was um, what I needed to do um, and and uh, it was one of the odd things was that six weeks after I went into Al-Anon, uh, my mother died 
Um, and I really, uh, you know, I've I, I already said that she was a compulsive overeater, um, but I didn't realize that until after she had died. Um, uh, you know, it just, I, I, I believe that, that growing up, I thought that, that um, the way she ate was the way you ate. You know, that was what everyone did. You know, I, I, I didn't, um, my home was so chaotic. There weren't a lot of friends coming over to my house to be, you know, be able to say that, um, you know, there's something wrong here. You know, this, this situation is a little crazy. Um, I had to, uh, you know, I really, um, I took it very hard. I was, I was, although I didn't feel very close to my mother, we, we spoke often every day, um, you know, and we all had worked for the same company. And, um, you know, it was, and, and in the end, the, 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 she had a stroke and she, she was actually shopping in the store where I was working and we were speaking as she had it. And, you know, so it, it definitely affected me. And um, the one thing was, is back then, um, I, uh, I was unable to be with her. Um, we had decided after a week that we, you know, that one thing that she had been very clear about was that she didn't want to uh, be kept alive on a machine. And so we turned off the machines, but I was incapable of being with her uh, when she died. And, and that really, you know, had been a regret of mine for a, for a very long time. Um, um, and later in my story, I, I have some points where I've, I've, you know, gone back, made up for that, I guess, actually. And, and so actually, so I was in Al-Anon and I had gone also into counseling and in 1990, I went I went to a treatment center for adult children. It was a it was a rehab in uh, an alcoholic rehab, and but they had a separate program. Um, and that was when I actually realized that I was medicating myself with food. Um, so I was already, um, you know, I'm I'm 39 years old, almost 40 years old at this point, and I. I realized, you know, what I'm doing to myself with the food. And so that's the point where I, re- where I, I joined OA. Uh, after I came home from that rehab, I started going to OA. Um, and I, in the beginning, you know, it was, it was, OA was just, it was, it was, it was a different, it was a different entity back then. Um, I remember that some of the things that I was told was, that, you know, if sugar was the fifth ingredient or more on a label, that you didn't have to worry about it. I now realize that by doing that, I was reactivating my allergy every single day, every single time I ate something. Um, and, and, you know, it was, um, it was it, in these years, um, I thought that I was working the program. I thought that I was doing everything that I was supposed to do. Um, you know, uh, I went to only step meetings. I went to a lot of meetings. Um, you know, I did. I did what I what I thought was the right thing. Um, in uh, in 1996, actually, I took a vacation out to uh, Yosemite National Park in California. And um, after that vacation, I I applied for a job out there. And I actually I lived in Yosemite National Park for two years, from 1997 to 1999. Um, uh, you know, and it was uh, it was an amazing thing. It was my heart's desire. I'd always loved Ansel Adams photography, which is why I went out there in the first place. And to live there and just see all those magnificent uh, half dome and you know um, 
it was just it was just an amazing an amazing adventure for me. I was grateful that I was able to do that. Um, however, while I was out there, my uh, best friend in New York committed suicide, and uh, um, I had just been home, so I did not come home from the funeral. And um, and you know, my food was I was a mess. You know, I often when I w- would speak about it. Um, I would talk about being in, uh, you know, in relapse. And I realize now that, you know, I really was never in relapse. I was always in the disease. I had never gotten out of the disease, Um, you know, sometimes through no fault of my own, but most times through half measures availed me nothing. You know, I didn't, I wasn't willing to to go to that 100% mark to do the work that I needed to do. Um, You know, I have to say, you know, I, uh, I remember the big book from the very beginning, but for the most part, you know, I, I, I use the, um, all of the OA literature. And now I, I've learned from someone on this line that all I need to say is that, you know, I prefer the big book. Um, you know, so I've gone through the years in, in, in OA um, thinking that I'm doing the right thing, trying to do the right thing, but really never succeeding. And I did have some long periods of abstinence and, you know, made um, some friends that, you know, I'm still in touch with today. But the thing is, is that I, I, I really don't believe that I had all the information that I needed. Um, but I honestly also believe that even if I'd had all the information that I needed, I would not have uh, been able to, you know, um, jump in and do, do as much work as really was required. Uh, and um, you know, and I, I hate to, I, I really hate to, to say that about myself, but it's, it's the truth. And today, I, I can actually be honest and say the things that I need to say in order um, so that I can continue to recover, and so that others around me can recover. You know, and it may not be the popular thing, and it may not be the thing that someone else really wants to hear, but it's the thing that, that's the truth. And what happened, so what happened to me is I went on through the years, you know, really being in the bedevilments all the time, um, not being able to have relationships, you know, financial insecurity, um, being the, one of the biggest people pleasers I've ever met in my life. Um, but in, in around 2016, um, there was a face-to-face meeting that I went to, and, and I saw this woman there, and she had started talking about this Vision for You meeting. And, but, and I could see, because I, I could, you know, I knew her, I could see that she had it, you know, that she had that love and acceptance, you know, that, uh, and that was, that was one of my biggest character defects. It was my judgment, um, you know, and I blamed that always about, you know, growing up in a house with seven kids and always being compared, um, you know, if I judged you and I could, you know, I could feel better if I, if I, if, you know, if I thought you were lacking, I could feel better about myself. And I found that, that, um, you know, that was, that was really something that was really holding me back. And I had, so um, at one point, eventually in 2016, I started, I, I asked this woman to be my sponsor. And so she told me that I needed to listen to a vision for you every day. At that time, I was uh, working, still working, and I, um, so I, list- I couldn't listen live because I had to be at work at 7 o'clock Eastern, and so I listened every day on my way home from work. I would listen to the recording, 
And, um, you know, I, I, even from the very beginning of this, this experience, I always said, you know, it has happened for them, all, all the, everyone else on the line, recovery, being recovered, um, and it can happen, it will happen for me. And that was the first time that I ever really had a sense of, yes, this can happen for you, Leslie. Um, you know, I, I, I got this sponsor, I worked the steps, I got recovered. Um, but I have to say that I, I didn't get a lot of the 10 step promises. I don't know what I had missed. Um, um, however, you know, um, when I started sponsoring myself, you know, I still did it my way. I did. Um, I made a bunch of, I made my amends. Um, but the, the thing, there were things that I, I didn't do. Um, my way included no, I was sponsoring five people. I didn't make any other outreach calls. I was always afraid to make calls to talk to people. Um, I did, there, there was no step 11, almost no step 10s. So I wasn't doing any prayer and meditation. You know, I thought that, I thought that, you know, all right, I got that connection. And, and I, you know, there's nothing else that I need to do. Um, I mean, I'd read the book, so I knew obviously that there was things that I needed to do, but I was just not ready. You know, I, I, I remember um, there's a, there was a, on page 11, there's a, a quote in Bill's story that says, for myself, I had adopted those parts which seemed convenient and not too difficult. The rest I disregarded. And that's certainly where I was um, when it came to, you know, working this. You know, I was sponsoring five people, and, and, and during this time, I relapsed. I was back in the food. And I continued, I continued to, to sponsor people. I continued to go to face-to-face meetings, and I didn't tell anybody. You know, I lied about it. Uh, you know, I said before judgment was my biggest character defect, but really, in the end, my lying was the biggest character defect because I couldn't be honest about it. I thought, you know, I've been in program more than 25 years, and I still haven't got it. I still can't do this. You know, because it continued to be about me, continued to be I, I, I. What did I need to do? How was I going to change this? You know, that was my lurking notion. I kept thinking that there was some other, something else that I was supposed to be doing. Um, And I found that absolutely not. Uh, There is nothing else that I am supposed to be doing, you know, um, because I couldn't do it because it was a disease, because it's a spiritual malady, I couldn't change this. Um, and, uh, you know, and I continued on this way. I finally did um, get honest with my sponsees and not sponsor anymore. But I wasn't, I wasn't at all being honest with, um, you know, people at my face-to-face meetings, my family. I always came off really self-righteous and um, I'm going to tell you how to do it. You know, even, you know, it was more like, and I was very preachy, very strident in my, in, in my shares at meetings and that kind of stuff, because it was like, it was almost like I was trying to convince myself rather than, you know, speaking to someone else of my experience. Um, so, it, you know, it was interesting. I had in November of 2017, my nephew got married and, um, you know, I was, uh, both his uh, biological mother and um, my other sister who had raised him, uh, they had both died. And so, you know, 
my one of my older sisters and I were the aunts uh, aunts of the groom, and um, I ended up giving the the uh, best man speech because his best man backed out at the last minute. Um, and months and and weeks before the wedding, every day I would say, "Okay, I'm done." You know, make that resolution. I'm going to stop eating. I have to do this. You know, I have to fit into this dress. You know, whatever the thing was. And I could not do it. I could not do it. I was so far into the disease that I was, uh, I was sinking. I was absolutely sinking. Um, and even though, I, you know, I didn't eat at the wedding because everyone thought that I was abstinent or that's what I told people. Maybe they didn't think that, but I told them that, um, you know, I ate around the wedding. I, you know, I was just binging. It was, it was, it was, it was a bad, um, bad, bad time. Um, and at the end of that was the middle of November. And at the end of November, um, you know, I was still listening to a vision for you. And I did hear, you know, uh, one day I took down the sponsor's names and I, and I called the sponsor and I was ready. I thought I was ready. She gave me a beginning assignment. And one of the, um, and one of the, one of the pieces out of that beginning assignment was to listen to Ruth M's talk on the doctor's opinion, and I did that. Um, and I, you know, the rest I did the rest of the assignment. I did everything that she had asked me to do. Um, but I realized that I was not ready. I was not ready to do this. Um, that I had not fully conceded in my heart that I was a compulsive overeater. I continued to think that there was something else that I was supposed to be doing, that I was supposed to be doing. And, um, you know, I, uh, I called the sponsor, and I, or I contacted her anyway, and I said, you know, I'm just really not ready. I'm not ready. Uh, I just don't have the honesty. You know, that, that, that's another thing, you know, those who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. I really thought that I was in that category because, Lying was just such a part of my life that I, you know, I, I couldn't find a way to, to admit a lot of things to a lot of people. And, um, you know, so I contacted her. I said, you know, thank you for your time, um, but I, I'm not quite ready to do this. Um, but I knew that at that point um, that, you know, I was, I was praying that something was going to change. And it ended up that through that December of 2017, I, I got the gift of honesty, and I didn't have to tell everybody in the world that I hadn't been abstinent, that I wasn't following my program, but there were some people that I needed to tell, um, and, uh, and, I, and I did that through that December of 2017, so it was very, uh, you know, it was very, it was good for me, it was something that I needed to do, and I also knew that it wasn't me that had done it. I knew that I had, that God had given me that gift of honesty, and um, I was very grateful for it. And so in January, I was ready to start again, and the same woman announced herself as a sponsor, and so I got to work with her. You know, that was obviously, whenever anyone asked me, you know, how do you pick a sponsor, I say, you know, if they can work with you, you know, if you guys can set up a time that works, go for it. Because if, if it's really supposed to be, it, it's going to happen for you. And if it's not, it's not. You know, there was no, you know, I know that God chose this woman for, to be my sponsor. Um, and, it, and it worked, you know. We started reading the book every day. Um, I was abstinent. 
And um, what happened for me was that I was a seven weeks abstinent in the middle of my fourth step. And um, I went to a face-to-face meeting and someone at this time, uh, obviously I did not have a neutrality around the food, um, but someone at the meeting said that bulimia was a good thing. And I have never, have never been a bulimic. I have never, um, when I throw up, I cry. <laughs> you know, when I'm actually sick and I throw up, it's not a good thing. It's not a good look for me. Um, and, but that thought got in my head. And at that point, you know, when anyone else spoke about their food or what their options were, um, it would bother me. If it, you know, why can't, I, why can't I eat like that? How come they get to do that? Whatever. Oh, poor me, you know. And that thought got in my head that day, and I, I couldn't get past it. You know, I came home from this morning meeting on a Saturday. I didn't eat lunch, and I didn't eat dinner because I knew, you know, it was in my head, and I finally went out that Saturday night and had a binge. And uh, Monday morning, I called my sponsor, and, um, you know, I told her what had happened. And she said to me, as she had always, often did, that I needed to take some quiet time with God to decide what was going on. And, um, you know, and she told me that she had, once she had worked the program, she had not had a relapse. So she really didn't know how to do this. She didn't know what, what the possibilities were for us. So um, I did take that quiet time with God. And that was when I finally realized that not only am I powerless over the food, I am also powerless over my thinking. And, you know, sometimes I say that and I feel like I'm crazy. People are going to think you are wacko, Leslie, you know, to say that you're powerless over your thinking. They're going to think you're a blithering idiot. But I continue to say it. And what it really means for me is that when I say I think, I can be in really big trouble. Because all those years, those 27 years that I've been in OA, when I said, oh, yeah, I think, oh, I know I can do this. You know, the things that I know are the things that can really kill me. So by me saying that I, I was powerless over my thinking at that point was my true surrender. It was my absolute time where I said, I am powerless over food. I'm powerless over my thinking. And my life is unmanageable by me. Because I finally truly conceded in my heart that I was a compulsive overeater. I have the allergy of the body. I have the mental obsession. And at that point, I surrendered to a power greater than myself. And then I could start the work. And what happened was, is we had obviously already read in the big book up to, pay, up to the fourth step. So I started over again myself. And I read it out loud to myself. I, I live alone. I'm retired. I have a lot of time. So I read it out loud to myself. And every night I would email her. I would send her an email of anything that I felt um, I needed her to re-explain to me or talk to me about again. And there were a lot of paragraphs and there were a lot of pages that I needed to have her go over with me again. Because what I found was that there were a lot of there, a lot of the big book. I would just I was such a people pleaser that I would just agree with. You know, I would just say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, oh, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, that's what I think. When really I wasn't questioning myself at all. I wasn't questioning any of my old beliefs. So I didn't know exactly what I believed at all. But I just went along. 
you know, even my own conception of a higher power. Um, I, I didn't know what that was, you know, and, and, but, but I found that to be a good thing because as, as I've done the work, as I've taken the actions, my conception of a power greater than myself has grown, has changed, you know, and I have come to that conception today, but only through taking all the actions. I remember in the very beginning, starting out again and, you know, calling people who I thought on the line who found it spiritual and saying, you know, how do you know, how can you trust a higher power, you know, not knowing that this, that through the actions of the steps that I was going to get there, that I was going to find that for myself, because that's the only way it can happen, is that by me toting that barge and lifting that bail, I had to do that work. Only I can do the surrender and only I can do the work. We each may have a guide, someone who's going to shine that flashlight for us ahead of us so that we can see, um, you know, the, the, the important things, but we don't skip anything. But that was the thing for me is I had skipped many, many things in my life. And I was, um, you know, so I started over again. That was at the end of February, 2018. And, you know, I read through the book, but I have to say that, you know, there was a paragraph that was particularly meaningful for me as I went back through the book. Um, And it's page 55, and I'm just going to read it. Actually, we were fooling ourselves, for deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, but in some form or another, it is there. For faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself. I never believed that. I bypassed that paragraph every single time I had read the book, every single time I'd been through it with with a sponsee, with a sponsor, with a guide. It didn't matter. I passed it by. I didn't believe that at all. But I had never questioned myself about it enough. And I remember this day because it was a Tuesday and I have a face-to-face meeting in the evening on Tuesday. And I went to that meeting. And it's not a big book meeting. But what I got out of that paragraph that day was that, am I deserving of this? Am I worthy of this? And that's really what, what was at the core of my Um, thinking that I had to continue to control this was the fact that I didn't believe I deserved it. I didn't think I was worthy. I didn't think God really wanted to take a look at me. I thought that, you know, all the things that I had learned growing up, the fact that, um, you know, um, I was punished um, when I, you know, when I wasn't necessarily uh, something that I should have been, um, I believe that that just said that God didn't care about me and would never care about me. So I have carried that misconception, that wrong idea through my whole life and just said, oh, yeah, you know, really, you know, I, you're a piece of shit is basically what I would say to me. Excuse that. But, um, you know, maybe my language had changed over the years, but I never believed that I was deserving. And, you know, since then, since I questioned that, and I took that to the meeting that night, and people, it didn't have anything to do with anything that was going on, but I took that question to the meeting that night, because then, because having surrendered, I was actually ready to say, 
I have to question every belief I hold. Because if I don't, I'm going to be back in the food. The food is going to be my master. I know that this time. And um, I'm going to give this as much, as much percent as I've got. I'm going to give it 100% because, because I am deserving of this. And so I continued on through the book and, um, and took all the actions that my sponsor directed me to take. And I took all the actions that, um, you know, the book has, has pointed out. I, I, I do 10 steps as often as I need to. I do an 11 step every night. I use the OA Toolkit app. Um, I send that out to my sponsor every night. And it's not for her. It's for me to be accountable about it. Um, I send uh, my sponsor an email every night about the food that I'm going to eat the next day. And I, uh, for myself, and that was one of the things um, in the initial assignment was all the foods that you'd ever binged on. You know, so that I could know the ingredients, and I had never looked—I had never looked at flour before, um, and um, but that was part of almost every single one of my binges. Um, I'd always looked at sugar and sweeteners, but never flour, and so that's my abstinence now. Um, and you know, when I first started, I thought never have flour again. I thought, oh, there's no way. Yeah, and 15, almost 16 months later, here I am saying, yeah, who cares? You know, it's just breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It doesn't really matter, you know, and other people, yeah, they can eat that. And that's one of the biggest lessons that I've really learned is that the only program and the only abstinence that I need to know about are my own. Other people, you know, other people can talk at meetings now. They can say, oh, yeah, I have a dessert once a week or, you know, I have this or I have that. And that's, that's good for them. That's great for them. I know that today that I can't do that because I have surrendered to this. And, you know, um, as far as half measures availed us nothing, um, you know, I feel like that's all I ever did was half measures. You know, and that until I, I, I really went back through the book again, started over, surrendered completely, there was nothing I could do but half measures. Then until I had that total surrender, that I was just, I was incapable of, uh, of, of much of anything else because I, di- I didn't, you know, I didn't have it. Um, but and and the and it, the interesting thing, and I was at a meeting the other day, and someone said, you know, they've been absent for a while now, and things are getting um, a little better. But they they can't um, tell others, you know, what's going on. And I've I've come up against that question myself. Um, you know, people want to know how'd you do it, you know. And I have to say to people now, I didn't do it. I can't tell you how it was done, you know. Um, I can only tell you that I, that I, the actions that I have taken, and that did not make me abstinent, and it did not make me recovered. But I do take those actions every day. I call newcomers every day. I call people who are looking for outreach every day. I connect with, with a lot of people and know that, you know, that's my insurance in the bank for this recovered state that I am enjoying now, you know, and, um, there's a couple of other uh, of other quotes that I thought of as I was thinking about what I would say today, and uh, you know, one of them is on page 13 where it says, "Common sense 
would thus become uncommon sense. And that was something I had to think about a lot when I was first abstinent um, at the end of February in 2018. I had to think about it a lot because when I um, realized I was powerless over my thinking, I knew that I had to, um, uh, you know, I had to think a different way, you know. And when I had an initial thought, um, I would need to go 180 degrees opposite that so that, you know, my thinking uh, needed to change. Um, so when it says com- common sense would become uncommon sense. So if something was common sense for me, I needed to go to the opposite, you know. And in order to do that, um, one of the things that I learned that I found to be really, really helpful in the very, very beginning was I listened to, a, I needed to have recovered voices in my head more than the voice of the disease, which was obviously my brain talking to me. So I listen to a lot of vision for you, and I still do. I listen almost every day for the three hours that, that vision for you is on. And I listen to, you know, special editions and, and you know, just all of it. Um, in the very beginning, I listened to a lot of Joe and Charlie talking about the big book. Because, I, as I said, I needed to have those recovered voices in my head. I needed to have someone else saying that this could really happen for me instead of my voice saying, yeah, just this one time. Yeah, you can have it. It's really not that big a deal, Leslie, you know. Um, but it is a big deal. It is a big deal. And, you know, um, and I hear this on the line a lot, is that now for me, the insanity would be picking up something, would be eating, you know, some sugary thing or, you know, flowery thing. That would be the insanity for me today because I have enjoyed and I spoke of it at the beginning, I now enjoy this empty brain um, because God has removed the mental obsession for me. You know, and if I wasn't obsessing about the food, which happened most of the day, but if I wasn't obsessing about the food when I was in the disease, it was about some family member, some friend, somebody that had wronged me, you know, oh, poor me. And now today, you know, it's gone. It is absolutely gone. I'm here to say that, that doing this work and doing this work every day, I like what I hear when people say, you know, yesterday's shower isn't going to keep me clean today. I have to, I have to get up as a non-recovered compulsive overeater every morning and start my day. And I do. I start my day with prayer meditation. Um, you know, I, uh, and all through the day, I am thinking about, how can I be helpful? How can I be useful? Instead of me, me, me. Um, another thing that was really helpful for me in the beginning and, and still today, you know, is the story uh, acceptance is the answer in the back of the book on page. And on page 417, it says, when I complain about me or about you, I'm complaining about God's handiwork. I'm saying that I know better than God. And I never know better than God. I, I say this to people all the time. I don't know the big picture. I have no idea what the whole portrait is supposed to look like. I only see my little teeny part. And I'm glad that um, I hear on the line, and I say to myself all the time, there's a God and I'm not it. I am not in charge of things anymore. I don't know what anyone, I barely know what I'm supposed to do, let alone what anyone else is supposed to do, you know? one of the biggest things that, that, that 
um, you know, one of the biggest promises, the step 10 promises is we have ceased fighting anything or anyone. And I find that that has really come true to me. And I was always, um, you know, um, very, uh, I've always been a very fearful person. And, um, you know, and immediately I would be defensive about things. Um, and when I got scared, because that was all I knew, you know, I wasn't going to let you close enough to hurt me. And so I'm very grateful today that I can say, um, you know, I'm trying new things. I'm doing different stuff. I'm meeting new people. And, and seeing how each person, you know, can contribute to my, my life and how I can contribute to theirs instead of, you know, stepping back and saying, I'm not going to get involved. Um, you know, this, this being recovered um, is better than anything that I ever have ever had in my life. And at, at my age, I really honestly doubted that it would, could happen for me. But I am so grateful that, um, you know, I followed, I followed the, uh, the directions this time as precisely as I could. I know that the only step that I need to take perfectly is step one. After that, I just do the best job that I can do. And if there's something I miss, you know, step 10 is going to take care of that. I can take a look at it in step 11 in my nightly review. But I'm just so, so grateful that I have gotten this gift um, and that I've been able to uh, share it. And I have to say that one of the ways that, that I, I find sharing it, even though sometimes it's uncomfortable for me, is doing service, you know. And really, I go to three or four face-to-face -face meetings a week. Um, but A Vision for You is my home group. And I, um, you know, I need to do service there, and I do. I volunteer to do things, and I, I make sure that I do my seventh tradition because, because it's, really, it's really important. Um, uh, people talk about a vision, a vision for You meeting being the renaissance of OA, and I certainly hope that it is because I know that I have found the answers that I've needed in the big book. And the way, the way um, you know, a Vision for You is formatted, presented to me every day so that I can continue to hear those recovered voices um, that help me and, and to have become one of those recovered voices. So um, I, I'm just going to say that I am, have been so greatly honored by being asked to do this. Um, I was very nervous when I started, but I think I've said what I need to say and what God has wished me to say. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, so much, Leslie, for giving so much of yourself this morning in that comprehensive presentation. It was um, wonderful to be able to be front row seat listening to you. Leslie will give her contact information at the conclusion of this meeting, so please stand tight for that. And the lines are now open for questions. If you have a question for Leslie, just press star one on your phone, phone keypad, and that will unmute you to be able to be heard. And then give us the the uh, your first name and the first initial of your last name, please. Hello, and then once you've asked your question, if you would hang on, just, hang on just one sec. Hang on just one second, people. I just have one more line to say. And uh, once you have asked your questions, if you could immediately please just press star one again, and that will keep the line nice and clear for uh, the recording that we're that we're making right now. So who has a question? I heard Beverly and then I heard Ali A. So let me write those things down. Beverly -A. and Ali A. Gotcha. Hi, Sima. And I heard Marsha. 
and Cheryl W. Alita J. Alita, hi. Okay. Let's go with that lineup. That sounds really good to me. So we have Beverly, we have Ali A.S., Sima, I'm not sure of your first initial, but we'll get that, and Marsha, Cheryl W., and Alita J. Good morning, Beverly. You're first in line with your question, please. Hello. Okay. I have two questions for her. The first is, one, I call myself a compulsive relapser. What do you have to say to me? And the second one is, I know you've mentioned it, but could you repeat the things you do on a daily basis? Those are my two questions. Yes. Thank you, Beverly R. Great question. Uh, I would have considered myself a compulsive relapser also, except that I'm not sure that I relapsed because cause I don't, I'd never had this. Um, so I'm going to say that I just continued to be in the disease and called it relapse. Um, you know, it's because I never, I didn't, I needed to get honest with myself. Um, and I needed to fully concede, as Ruth M. speaks about in her special edition on the doctor's opinion, I needed to fully concede to my innermost self that I am a compulsive overeater and there is absolutely nothing that I can do about it. I, the only thing I can do is surrender. And I know, for me, that seems so counterintuitive. It seemed like I, if I just push harder, if I just work more, whatever I do, but until I totally let go um, and just agreed that I would do anything that I was directed to do, nothing, would, nothing ever happened for me. And that's, and that's, you know, that's what I would say to a compulsive relapser is that get yourself a sponsor, jump in, get abstinent, and start working in the book. Um, as far as what do I do on a daily basis, I get up in the morning. First thing I do is answer my uh, emails from my sponsees. I do my prayer and meditation. Um, I get on a vision for you. Some days I have a service, other days not. Um, you know, through the day, uh, usually later in the afternoon is when I make my call, my outreach calls to, uh, to others. Um, uh, you know, as I said, I go to three or four meetings a week. Um, I, I do food prep in the morning. Um, and, you know, I have my, my meals weighed and measured. Um, my scale is right on my counter at all times. Um, and what I need to measure and weigh, I, it goes right on the scale. Um, and then at the end of the day, uh, I, I do my 11th step. And if I've done any 10 steps during the day, I make those calls. Um, and, and I send, I do an email every night to my sponsor for the next day, uh, my gratitudes for the day, and my food plan for the following day. And um, in that way, um, I am always, uh, you know, but I find that the prayer and meditation in the morning is really important for me because that keeps me in touch with God throughout the day. I can say thank you, God, if something, you know, if, if, if for whatever happens for, to me or what's next, God, what else do I need to be doing? Um, and, you know, but it also says in that acceptance, excuse me, in the acceptance uh, story that, you know, I don't have to think that I'm going to get an answer right away. I just do the next right thing. And um, with that, I pass. Thank you, Beverly. Thank you, Beverly, for your question. Ali A. S., you're, ne you're next, and then Sema M. will come in after you. Hey, this is Ali A. S. Thank you, Leslie, so much for your um, share. 
Um, you kind of answered my question already, but I'm just uh, would like to hear you talk about it. How does your abstinence look today? How does your food plan look? And um, do you, do you do strictly weigh and measure? How do you handle that aspect of the food? Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Alia S. Alia A. Um, I um, when my sponsor gave me that initial assignment about writing down all my binge foods, she and I went over that list and we found all the ingredients that, <clears throat> excuse me, should not be in my food plan. And then she had me contact a nutritionist. I, I could have picked a nutritionist, but she had one, and, you know, I've de I dealt with her. And I got a food plan, which I have followed since the beginning. And it is weighed and measured. Um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a precise amount of food each meal. Most of, I have to say that uh, uh, most of my meals are really boring. I pretty much eat the same thing. Breakfast is the same every day. Lunch is pretty much the same. Uh, dinner, I can have different proteins. Um, but it's all weighed and measured. And whatever I can prepare in advance, I do that because, um, because it's just breakfast, lunch, and dinner now. I, I don't have any emotional attachment to it. I just um, I know that I need this food for my body um, to, um, to function every day. And I give it what it needs. And now it's not, it's not a, you know, um, it's, it, there's nothing else that I need to do. And if I need to change something during the day, I just, I'll just shoot my sponsor a text and say, you know, whoops, I'm going out. I'm going to have this, this, and this instead. And I do have a meal that when I go out, um, you know, it's basically the same so that I can, um, uh, you know, Basically, I you know I have I have one meal that I usually can get at, at most restaurants, and um, you know I don't there's not a lot of variety, and that's really okay because it doesn't have to my food no longer has to be exciting or sexy or I mean I love the food I eat it's good food, but it's you know it's not it, it doesn't have anything else attached to it but fuel for my body, and with that I pass. Thank you, Aliya. Thank you, Ali A.S. That's a great question. Thanks. Uh, Sima M., you're next, and then Marsha D. will follow you. Hi, Thank Sima. you. Thank you. Good morning, Leslie. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> um, I have a question about the other times when you thought you were recovered and you were in a different kinds of programs, um, and then you realized you weren't recovered when you came to Vision for You or later on. How long was the longest you had ever stayed abstinent without white knuckling? Uh, Sima, honestly, I don't believe I ever stayed abstinent without white knuckling. Uh, when I finally came into a vision in 2016 and got recovered that time, I, I had probably had about, I'm going to say six months, seven months of abstinence without white knuckling. And then I probably white knuckled it for a little while and then I relapsed. Uh, I had a lot of I had a lot of periods over my 29 years in OA. I've had a lot of periods of abstinence, but I have never been recovered before. Before this, uh, I can look back at that now. Did I think that I was doing everything that I was supposed to be doing? Was I going to step meetings? And I thought I was working the steps, but when I, uh, you know, finally went through the big book and saw what was what was actually required of me. Um, I knew that I had not worked the steps to the, the best of my ability. Um, so um, without white knuckling, it was before this time, it was probably six or seven months 
Um, I did have longer periods of abstinence. I had periods of abstinence, white knuckling, for several years, but it was never, it, I never had this neutrality around the food before or the uh, mental obsession being removed um, without the big book and a vision for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sima M. Marsha D., your question, please, and then Cheryl W. Well, good morning, OA family. This is Marsha D. And Leslie, thank you so much. I really um, related. In fact, I was taking notes as you shared. I related so much to a lot of what you shared. Um, you know, and so I, I wanted to say that. Um, I guess my question is just if you would elaborate on how you do the 10 steps throughout your day and into the evening, and if you if you work with a group or you just do that with your sponsor. Well, thank you, Marcia D. That's a great question. Uh, on 10 steps, I um, I don't actually I don't do it with my sponsor. I have a a, a small group of, of of people that I do 10 steps with. Um, and what I do is I also use the OA Toolkit, that app on my phone. Um, it's, it's, it's just a really good format for me. And I find that once I write it out, what I'm resentful at, what I'm fearful of, um, you know, what is it affecting, and then what is my part in it? You know, where am I selfish? Where am I afraid? Where am I dishonest? When I write those things out, I get a much clearer view. Um, I had one the other day where I was just, I was restless, irritable, and discontent, and I really, honestly, did not know what was what it was about. So I and I found that you know sometimes that stymies me, and I I'm not quite sure what to do with it. But I find if I sit down and I just start writing, that usually that that helps me to get a, a, an idea of it. And after I've done that on the OA toolkit, I make I make my call. I and if we can't speak right at the moment, I I set that up with someone for later. And then I resolutely turn myself, that is my favorite part of the 10th step, is I resolutely turn myself to someone that I can help. And I don't talk about it again. I don't continue to talk about it because what I found in my um, crazy mind was that, you know, the more I talked about it, the, right, the righter I got and the wronger the other person got. And it just, it built the resentment and it kept building it. And I kept building it because I kept talking about it. I kept thinking about it. I kept talking about it. So I reinforced all that for myself. And now with resolutely turning myself to someone else that I can help and not talking about the incident again, um, it just frees me up. And that, that's one of the things that really has helped me give, have that empty brain. And thank you. Thank you very much. Now we're looking at Cheryl W. Cheryl W, star one, please. Hi, this is, uh, yes, Leslie, can you hear me? I guess you guys can hear me now. Sorry about that. Um, really appreciated what you shared, and especially about cease fighting and the judgmentalist. Really enjoyed everything you shared. But I'm, one, I'm wondering if you have thought about this and how, any thoughts that you have related to it for you in your own program and how you work it. You know, you talked about a people-pleasing part of you and when I think about that I think about being you know distracted from myself in pleasing and people pleasing others and that way I can focus on other people versus me and so I'm wondering how you 
how you see this, you know, you you mentioned, you know, how can I be helpful and useful to others versus me, me, me. And I agree. I mean, and it's part of our big book. It's part of what we need to do. So wondering how you balance those two things, the idea of being outside of yourself versus, you know, don't be me, 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 and yet at the same time not wanting to go back into that behavior that's all about others distracted from yourself and people pleasing. And, and yet, you know, how do, how do you balance it? Because recovery is helping others. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Cheryl W. Yeah, good question. I I have a... I found that a bigger problem in in the very beginning. Um, I find now that I'm, um, now that my connection with my higher power is, um, I'm going to say stronger, that I I know more of the right things, you know, that befuddled thinking of, is this for me or is this for them? You know, I I find that, uh, you know, there are some things that I need to do to take care of myself. At the cross Um, of Jesus Christ, I now sever all soul ties with Rusty in the name of Jesus. Um, uh, you know, I, I know that there are things that I need to do to take care of myself. And when I was people-pleasing, I never took care of myself. I didn't ever say no. Um, but there are some things sometimes when I need to do that, you know. Um, and I think there is a fine, fine line, a balance between um, taking care of something that somebody else needs to be taken care of for themselves. Uh, I had someone that um, uh, wanted to go to this meeting that I go to, um, and, um, you know, and, and the first time we went, I drove and she said, oh, you know, I'll drive next time. And the next time, you know, oh yeah, I don't want to drive that far. And, and found that she would, unless I was going and I didn't get there every week, and, but then unless I was going, she wouldn't go. And I really felt that at, and had a discussion with her and said, you know, um, I can't do for you the things that you need to do for yourself. And it just felt like the right thing at that moment that, you know, um, if you're not willing to drive or you're not even willing to take yourself on the weeks when I can't get there, that, um, you know, that was, that, was, that was my people pleasing. And those things are still very uncomfortable for me to confront. But I know that in confronting them, um, I'm saying my truth and I'm saying, uh, you, know, and I, you know, I say what I mean and I don't say it mean. But I need to say it because otherwise that gets me into well um, into the back into my dishonesty, and it also gets me you know in, back into resentment. You know when I say yes and I really mean no, I have to be honest with everyone. I have to you know make sure that um, you know and and it isn't all about me. You know I know that now, um, and so I can be helpful. But there are, you know, I live in a senior community, so there's a lot of places where I can be helpful to others. And, and you know, and if they can do that for themselves, I have to weigh those things. You know, if someone is willing to do what they can, that's great. Otherwise, you know, I really have to take a long, high look at it. And I, uh, you know, and I ask my higher power all the time, you know, is this is this me or is this you? You know, what's the difference between my will and God's will was all, was a big question for me in the beginning. I it, it comes a lot easier to me, but it's still sometimes difficult difficult for me to address. But I know that I I do need to address it. And uh, thank you. That's great. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl W. Alita J, you're next with your question. And after Alita, we can open it up for a couple more questions to be asked. So be prepared. Hi, Alita. Good morning. 
Hi, good morning, Melanie. Again, thank you for your service. And good morning, all brothers and sisters on the line. Happy Father's Day to our special fathers out there. And Leslie, thank you for this huge gift you shared with us this morning. It's very at the end of my seat the whole time. Um, I guess I won't take up much time. My question has been answered by the previous question. Um, I was going to ask about people pleasing also. And I thank you for a very thorough answer on that. So blessings and thank you all. Thank you, Alita J. Thank you. Mm, thank you, Alita J. Okay, so it's open for well, maybe five more people to ask a question this morning. Donna Lindsay G. B. Donna and Donna. Lucy. Lindsay B. Oh, Lindsay, Lindsay. Okay, hi, Lindsay. Thank you. Sorry. This was Cheryl W. again, and I forgot to ask, could you please share the share ID? Sometimes that's um, shared right at the end of the talk versus at the very end. Anybody else would like to ask a question? PB. PB. Hi, this is Cheryl W. again. Could you please share the share ID because that's sometimes shared at the end of the talk versus at the very end. Thanks. <laughs> I caught you, Cheryl. Thanks so much. We do typically give it right at the end, but I, if you're wanting to, you're asking for it to be given now. That would be great. Okay, the share ID is one three zero four one one three zero four one. Thank you. Okay, so Donna and Lindsay and Pete, how about a couple more? Cindy D. Cindy D. Okay, let's go with those four. It sounds like a good number. So Donna, you're first, and then Lindsay will come in after you. Hi, this is Donna um, G, um, Grateful Recovering Compulsive Overeater in Pennsylvania, and I thank you for your service. Um, Leslie, it's been a very long time. I do listen to A Vision for You regularly, but not the Sunday edition, and I just felt um, led to listen today, and I'm very grateful that I did, um, grateful for your service. I um, also am in um, the other another 12-step program, Al-Anon, and um, really more new to that and grasping this um, whole concept of dishonesty around um, people-pleasing, um, some very, very core issues for me. Um, what it's bringing up for me, and I, I was hoping you could address it, is how did you, how do you um, grapple with understanding what it is um, your higher power wants you to do in relationship to loving yourself. Um, I feel a lot of guilt around that, um, shame almost sometimes, um, and very unclear about where to find that balance. And I do check in um, regularly with my higher power, but I'm just wondering if you grappled with that and, and how, how you were able to do that. Thank you. Thank you, Donna G. Great question. Um, I think it really that really happened for me when I was talking about that paragraph from page 55. Um, was I deserving? Was I worthy? Um, because I'd always treated myself um, really like garbage, you know, um, with the food and with everything else. You know, it was always, um, uh, you know, say yes when you, because the other, you have to have the other person. I, I 
the other person has to like me. That's uh, the interesting thing about this process is that uh, for the first time in my life, I'm okay with myself. Um, you know, in all my years, that has never happened for me. Uh, I am at the point now where it's, you know, and I don't need to be above or below anyone else. I am okay um, and very, very, very grateful to be able to uh, have that and to um, be able to, you know, impart that to others that, um, you know, that there are things that I need to do to take care of myself every day, you know, my three nutritious meals, um, even stuff not around the food, you know, just taking some downtime, you know, taking that prayer meditation time, uh, you know, putting my feet up at the end of the day. Um, and, you know, I found that as, I, as I've gone through and taken these actions, everything has become clearer and clearer for me. When I thought that I would get this, um, these answers in my head, it's not. It's through uh, doing the work, you know, um, doing, uh, you know, four through nine, all, the, all, the, all the, um, the, the actions that I've been directed to take in the big book, you know, by following these as precisely as I can, that I have come to that uh, realization that, you know, taking, taking care of myself, that's God's will for me. You know, because, you know, it's the old adage of if I don't put the oxygen mask on myself, I can't help anyone else. So that I have to take, be taking care of someone else first. I have to be taking care of myself first before I can really take care of anyone else. And after that, the answers, you know, the rudimentary things, which I didn't learn you know, growing up, you know, getting myself to a doctor when I need that or a regular checkup or those kind of things. I didn't have any of that. And so I've had to learn all that. But, um, but I know that that, you know, that is really God's will for me because without a healthy being and without enough rest, enough uh, downtime, you know, I'm of no use to anyone else and I can't be helpful or useful. And, but it really started with that, that one paragraph for me of what am I really deserving or worthy of, of these gifts that, that God is giving me. And I found that I am. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now we're looking at Lindsay B. Your question, please. Yes, hi. Um, thank you so much, Leslie. Very, very extremely helpful. And, and I think you've already sort of answered this, but I'm wondering if you might be able to add to this idea of you saying all those years when you realized you actually, you weren't in relapse because you, you, you were in the disease. And then you came to that moment um, when you, you know, you have to, the only step we take perfectly is the first one. And when you finally did that and surrendered, can you explain or articulate what the feeling was? Was there something different that said, oh, my gosh, this is what true surrender looks like? I don't know if that question makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Lindsay. Um, I do know. Um, I had, you know, I had binged for a day and a half, and I called my sponsor, and I knew at that moment that if I wasn't willing to do anything different, that I, food was the master, you know. Um, I have been abstinent 15 months now, but 
I could just as well have been in the food for this last 15 months and heaven only knows physically where I would be mentally and emotionally, I would be in hell. Absolutely. And I finally knew that I could finally see that unless I surrendered to this program, that food was just going to take over the rest of my life. And I knew at that moment that I had to do something different, that I had to give my all to this. If I didn't do that, then, uh, you know, that was the surrender. And, uh, and I'm not sure that, that this is even art- articulate enough, but I knew that food was going to be my master and I had no other choice. That's, I guess that's what it was, that I finally realized for myself that there was nothing else that I was supposed to, that I could do about this disease. You know, there's somebody on the line that says we need to take every beautiful bite. And that's how I feel about that relapse. One of my sponsees asked me, you know, well, what was the best part of that? You know, are you great? You know, what are you grateful for in that? And I'm grateful for the relapse and I'm grateful for the recovery. Because without that, I would not be here at this point. I would not be abstinent. I would not be recovered without having had that in my life, having that exact sequence of events, because that was how God was showing me that I was done. And, and, and that was the only way. By surrendering totally, that was the only way. And knowing there was nothing else that I could do, no other lurking notion, nothing that I could do that was going to change this. And if I didn't surrender to this process, I don't know where I would be now. Thank you. Thank you for the question, Lindsay B. Pete B., you're next. And then Cindy will Thank come after you. Thank you, Molly. Can you hear me okay? Loud and clear. A little Thank echoey, but that's all right. Sorry about that. Uh, thanks for taking the meeting. And, uh, and Leslie, thanks so much for your message. It had depth and weight and was insightful, and I really got a lot out of it, and I just want to thank you. I'm just curious, you know, our book says that a much more important demonstration of these principles lies before us in our homes, occupations, and affairs. And I have to be honest with you, when I heard about, you know, you talking about your, your daily practice and the quantity of meetings and your attendance and a vision for you, I got quite jealous. But I'm just curious, can you, have any, can you, can you tell me a little bit about what, you know, that, that means to you and how you, how you practice these principles outside of the fellowship and the, and the 12-step meetings that you attend? Absolutely. Thank you, Pete B. Uh, as I said, I live in a retirement community, so I have lots of opportunities here to be helpful to people who can't, who can't you know, do that. Um, this year, in fact, I was just talking to somebody uh, the other day about this. Um, I joined a golf league at, in my community, and, you know, I am just meeting some of the most wonderful women. This is a women's golf league, you know, and, and you know, people that are younger, people that are older, and, and my life has opened up to the possibility of allowing people to come in because I am not, I'm no longer that always frightened child, really, is what I was. Um, I, I, can, I can say hello to people. I can make those outreach calls. I can, you know, I can just make a call to a neighbor. Oh, you know, how you doing? I haven't seen you. Do you need something from the grocery store? That kind of thing. You know, so that it's 
I, I just find that there are more and more, uh, with all this time now, that there are more and more ways for me to be useful in my community and in my family. You know, if somebody in my family needs something now, it's like, sure, no problem, I got that. You know, and and it's not, and it's without that lingering. Oh, are you going to like me if I say no, or are you going to like me if I say yes? I can just say yes because I because I want to be useful and I want to be you know in the in in the community and in the world. Um, you know, one thing I do is I have a dog, so I'm out walking all the time, and I just pick up any garbage I see. You know brighten up the world and do do the things the, the small things perhaps that I can and I'm grateful you know I'm really grateful to be alive and be out walking and and doing the things that I can do every day thank you thanks Pete B for your question Cindy D your question please thanks Melanie and thank you so much for your share today Leslie I really um, appreciated and resonated with a, a lot of it. But um, the question is twofold. One, uh, you mentioned that earlier you were, you know, sponsoring five people, and I'm wondering now um, how you approach sponsoring and how you ban balance your sponsoring and all the service that you do with self-care. Thank you, Cindy D. Great question. Um, yeah, five sponsees was way too much. <laughs> now I way, way more. And at that point, I was reading with each sponsee an hour a day. I don't do that anymore. Um, I read with sponsees a half an hour a day. We meet five or six times a week, uh, depending on our schedules. Um, and I, right at the moment, I, I have someone that just graduated so I have two sponsees, but three is my is my limit at this point. Um, you know, it ended up this month in June. I'm doing a lot of service on Monday, so it seems like the rest of the days that I, um, uh, you know, I have some time to myself and I can do the things that I need to do to take care of it. As I said, you know, and and one of those things is getting out and 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 when it's not raining and playing golf. Um, you know, so I I I have. I have times when, you know, when I, I can work around that, you know, basically I have time set for my sponsees in the morning. And, um, you know, as I said, I get out and do the things that I need to do, but I have, you know, I have lots of time to, uh, I am retired. I am lucky enough for that. And I, and so I have time for that balance of, you know, this is, you know, this is what will work for me. You know, I'm not afraid to say that now. Um, you know, oh no, I can't do a call that early in the morning. This will, this is what will work for me. You know, and um, and I found that you know, it it's just very direct and it's clear that this is, um, you know, and and it's so much easier for people to deal with me now. When before it would be, you know, what do you want? Maybe I can do, you know. It's now, yeah, you know, no, I can, that's not that's not going to work for me. I need my rest, and um, you know. Uh, you know, and I just try and, and be as clear as I can be, you know, and just asking my higher power, you know, how is it supposed to work? And um, and that's all I've got. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy D. Hey, that was the last question that was on the list here today. But just to be sure that all minds are clear, does anyone have a burning question that they would like to ask of Leslie? Maybe one or two people with a burning question that you had your finger on that star one, but just didn't. 
Franny K. Okay, there's that burning question. Hi, Franny K. Go ahead. Good morning, Leslie. Leslie, thank you so much. And I feel um, I, I feel so connected to your uh, chronic relapse because I'm a poster child for that. And I want to say something uh, w meaningful and witty. It's that ego. But my question is about your age. And I have a hard time going, oh, my God, I'm 59 and a half. When on earth am I going to get this thing? And I've been listening to Vision consistently since December. I've uh, been in program for 20 years. And uh, today I'm surrendered. But truly, truly, my problem is thinking that this one little bit is not going to hurt me, um, so on and so forth, taking my own will back. So that is my constant struggle. But uh, I'll pass now. Thank you. Thank you, Franny Kay. Um, honestly, you know, I said I'm 68. I'm 68. I didn't really think it was going to happen for me. I really didn't. I wanted to believe it, but I didn't think it was going to happen. And it did, you know. And I, so I'm just, uh, I think part of what I wanted to say today is it can happen to you at any age. It can happen, you know, when we're, you know, young and when we're older, you know, because, um, you know, because, and I know now that for me, you know, my higher power is love and acceptance. And that as long as I'm being loving and accepting that, you know, it's all, it all comes down to that. And I'm just so very grateful that it did happen for me and that I am able to, um, you know, share that message with others so that, um, uh, you know, it, at any time, at any age, you know, I needed to have all the experiences that I had in order to be at the place where I was ready to surrender. So, um, you know, I needed uh, those 27 and a half years in, in, uh, in OA prior to be having that surrender. So um, I just know that, you know, um, and as I said, you know, every beautiful bite, I needed to have that relapse in order to, that binge, in order to get to where I am today. And as long as I keep remembering that, um, it's, it's, you know, it's going to happen. As long as I'm willing to, you know, give myself 100% to the program and follow these directions as precisely as I can. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Franny Kay. Hey, I want to squeeze the last little bit out of the bottom of this I, tube. I thought that I heard somebody by the name of Abby. Did I hear Abby? Yeah, it was Abby B. Can you hear me? Hi, Abby B. Did you have a question? And then I guess maybe one more person. You got time, Leslie? <laughs> Irene B. Yep. I'm good. Okay, I'm going to go with Irene B. And we'll stop with Irene. Okay, Abby, you you go first. And then we've, and then we've rung it all out this time. Okay, your question. Thank you very much. I identified with you in a lot of ways. And I'm, I'm Can you speak up just a smidgen more here? Having a hard time hearing you, Abby B. Hit all that. Let me make it better. Okay. No Bluetooth. Abby B. in Maryland. Thank you. Thank you, Leslie. Beautiful. Uh, I need to contact you individually because I really identify. Can you give us some examples um, of more about when you stop struggling? And I'm not speaking about the food. I'm um, or fighting reality. Um, so in my situation, I am ending an 18-year relationship because I, I put the other person first and uh, didn't want to rock the boat, et cetera, et cetera. I hate that phrase, people-pleasing, because I don't know if they were pleased, but um, I was 
I was. I'm either fighting or I'm. So if you could give me some examples, you know, I'm either fighting or I'm kind of cowering. So thank you. That's a question, hopefully. Thanks. Yeah, Abby, um, I heard you. Um, Yeah, you know, when I was really willing to um, start looking at the honesty, the truth in my life, um, and, and the things that, you know, as I said b- before, you know, I have to put the oxygen mask on myself before I can be of service to anyone else. So I have to remember that, you know, there are some basic things that I need to do for me. Um, and in, in getting to this point where I feel okay with myself, um, it's been an amazing, um, an amazing journey. I have learned that, you know, um, that you know, saying no when appropriate is perfectly fine. It's not a crime and it's not a sin for me to say, you know, that's just not going to work for me. Um, you know, I'm not, you know, and I think part of it for me is having let go of all that judgment um, of myself and others, you know, by getting to more acceptance and being able to say the truth, say my reality, you know, is that, you know, and it's hard. Uh, it is really hard. It's gotten a little teeny bit easier. But, you know, I find that each time I do it, I strengthen, I strengthen myself and I strengthen my program because now I'm not afraid to be honest. I'm not afraid to say what's really going on, how I feel about something. And by learning how to do that, I have, you know, I can, I, you know, as I said, being direct and being clear about things makes things so much easier for, for everyone around me. It's very helpful to everyone around me for them to have an idea of really where I'm coming from, an honest idea. And they might not know the difference, but I certainly know the difference. And, um, you know, I'm very grateful to be able to, um, you know, be, be direct with people and kind. You know, I don't have to say something that's going to be hurtful, but I do sometimes, you know, even if it's not my intention to hurt the other person, I have to say my truth so that, um, and, and now because of the abstinence and the recovery and being recovered, I know the truth. You know, it says in the doctor's opinion, we can't tell the truth from the false and I couldn't, but now I can see things much more clearly and I'm certainly not perfect. I'm still only a human being, um, but I, I can see the things that, um, that I need to um, do in my life uh, for myself and for others. And I can be honest about them today. And sometimes it takes a little work. I may have to practice and um, often do. But, um, yeah, but it's, um, it, it, it's a, it, for me, it's been very rewarding to um, be able to um, be honest with others and myself. Thank you. Thank you, Abby B. Irene B., you'll be our last question today. Thank you so Round much for your out. service. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I have a, a question. Uh, whenever, thank you for your service, Leslie. When you said love and acceptance is my higher power, it really spoke to me. It, it's like somebody turned on the light switch. It's like somebody, like suddenly I could see. I love my God. I adore my God. My, my God is my salvation. My God is, is everything to me because uh, it's the only reason I'm recovering from this uh, terrible bulimia that I suffered from for so so many years, over 40 years. 
And um, and prior to that, I was compulsive overeater for 20. So, yeah, it's a long road. But this idea of your higher power being love and acceptance, is, it, it really spoke to me. So I would love for you to elaborate on that a little bit. Also, you um, this thing about feeling guilty and putting your oxygen mask on first. I have held on to to that idea because guilt is my middle name. I'm guilt driven, and it's very difficult for me at times in certain situations, especially with my family members. Uh, to to be guilt-ridden. And not necessarily that it resulting action is just guilt because, you know, I, I, I'm trying to do self-care. And sometimes that means that I have to prioritize me over them, and that seems very difficult to do. And I'm not going to elaborate on that more because that's rambling, but that's the question, if you could help me a little bit. Thank you. Sure. Absolutely. Thank you, Irene B. Um, Yeah. You know, the fact that love and acceptance is now my higher power. um, I've, I've gone through a bunch of different higher powers as uh, over my time in program. And, um, you know, I just found that a lot of the other higher powers that I had envisioned, let me say, um, were really too small to do the job. Um, that love and acceptance is just such, um, uh, you know, if I'm loving and accepting, then I'm, I'm exactly where I need to be, you know, and it doesn't, for me, it doesn't need to be defined any further, you know, it just, that's, um, that's the goal, you know, and it says it in the book a, a bunch of different ways, you know, patience and tolerance and kindliness um, and, and to, you know, to, to think of others first, you know, and, when I can be loving and accepting and, and of myself and others, you know, it doesn't even matter where I start. If I start with others and, and get around to myself, that, that works. Um, and if it goes the other way, that's fine too. I found as far as the guilt feelings go that most of that work for me um, was taken care of in steps four through nine. Um, you know, by, by going through that, seeing my part in, in the fourth step, and then, you know, I hear, and I hear on the line a lot, if, if I'm not the problem, there is no solution. So that if I, um, you know, I can't expect anyone else to change because another of my favorites is ex- expectations are premeditated resentment. So if I'm expecting someone else to do something differently, I have to take that action to change it. Um, and if I don't do that, then if nothing changes, nothing changes. So um, I know that, you know, as I said, I know I've learned that I'm okay. I've never felt that before in my life. And that, you know, the things that happen, if I make a mistake, I can quickly take care of that with a step 10. And if, if um, you know, and if not, you know, but as far as the guilt and the shame go, um, really looking um, at pay, paragraph, once again, on page 55, um, you know, am I deserving? Am I worthy of these gifts? Finally, knowing yes, I am deserving and worthy of these gifts, and that um, you know, uh, you know, clearing away the wreckage, you know, making those amends in step nine, 
really made a big difference of owning my clearing off my side of the street and, you know, uh, and just saying, you know, I've, do, I've made my demonstration. I've done what I can do and, and moving on from there. And uh, thank you very much, Irene. Thank you very much, Irene B. And thank you, Leslie M. You offered so much of yourself this morning, and it's so great after the presentation to have this Q&A because it expands on your view and experience so much, and it was just very, very good, good information. Thank you. Just want to let folks know that the share ID number today for Sunday, June 16th, Sunday Special Edition is 13041, 13,041. And we will now close, Leslie, okay, with the reading of page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you